Hi, this is Dr. William Renner. I'm here with Dr. Alan Safdie, world-famous gastroenterologist and internal medicine doctor, to discuss COVID-19. It's April 14th, 2020, and we want to keep you updated. Alan, uh, let's talk about testing. Uh, all the experts are saying that we have to do testing before we can return to a normal society. That is, we have to find out who has COVID-19, who can get COVID-19, and who should we quarantine for COVID-19. Uh, what are your thoughts on testing? Bill, that's an excellent question. Um, you know, before we get to testing, one of the things that we've noticed with other coronaviruses, there was a study just recently published in the Journal of Infectious Disease, and they looked at four different coronaviruses over an eight-year period, uh, and they were able to detect some seasonality. So the reason I bring this up, meaning they had from December to, say, May, um, the most infections. Um, so if this starts to drop off in May and June, we shouldn't think we're out of the woods. We still need to get ahead of this. We've done an abysmal job in regards to getting testing uh, for acute infections, for testing to see who has antibodies against this, to looking at herd immunity. So if we look at these other coronaviruses, um, and they looked at four different coronaviruses, COVID-19 is one as a type of a coronavirus, um, the, the testing is imperative. Looking at those previous ones, there's seasonality, um, meaning there's certain seasons where it carried a risk. And we shouldn't think, as some of our politicians will think, that once we start seeing a decrease in these cases, we're out of the woods at all. So your question is great in regards, you know, what about immunity? Um, you know, immunity after some infections can range from a lifetime of immunity, meaning after you get measles, and we both had measles, you know, we're immune for the rest of our life because um, we had an active measles infection. Sometimes immunity is going to be virtually non-existent. Um, so we need to see who is immune. But first, we need to see who has the infection and then do contact tracing. So there's different types of testing. One is that everybody's heard of is that nasopharyngeal swab. So you put a swab up your nose, but it doesn't go just in the last part of the nose. It goes way up in the nose. It feels like it's going into your brain. Uh, it's not a comfortable sensation um, to have a nasopharyngeal swab. And then we're actually looking for the virus. We're looking for active infection. We're looking for, uh, and I'm not going to go through how we look at those components, to see if there's but, but isn't that very inaccurate i mean i um uh, you were saying just the other day there's a 30 percent uh, false negative that is 30 percent of the people who actually have the infection if you do the nasal swab it'll be negative because the um the patient couldn't tolerate having the swab all the way back in their uh, nasal pharynx yeah that's absolutely right there's a couple reasons it's negative one is sometimes we're using people that aren't trained in testing we have patients that won't tolerate the testing. Um, as you said, it's very, very uncomfortable to have that feeling like it's going all the way up into your brain uh, to get that active test. And the other is, you know, how accurate is our testing? We, we rushed through this. We ignored a lot of the signs um, that we should have been looking at in January and February and a lot of March, realizing we got to get ahead of this. And now we're trying to play catch up in regards to that. 
we don't have enough tests, we need to start testing more of the people that have minimal symptoms. So if I got a cold type symptomatology right now, could I get tested? No, I, I really couldn't. Being a physician, I might be able to, but the average person cannot. Um, so yeah, uh, we need here more in of those tests. The test is not available uh, to the public. Um, so we cannot get tested. Uh, you have to meet a certain criteria. Um, and I think those vary, but they, they include fever. And we all already know that many of the patients who have COVID-19 don't have fever. Maybe as much as 50% of the patients don't have fever. So they're not, we're not going to be testing people that, that may have COVID. Yeah, and then we miss the super spreaders that are walking around, um, going into areas, walking in parks and other things, and not really maintaining the distance, which we talked about previously and spreading this virus. Uh, ideally, we would test everybody. Then we know who has it. Then we do contact tracing on those people and we can sequester the people they came in contact with for 14 days. We sequester people with infections and we can get rid of a substantial amount of person-to-person -person spread of this virus. We don't have the ability, as you said, to do that. Um, so at this point, we need a lot more tests. We got to test the really sick person. You know, you're a radiologist. You could look at a CAT scan and see these infiltrates. And I'll ask you, you know, they're somewhat specific um, for COVID-19. But the people that have minimal symptomatology are the ones that we need to be testing or even no symptomatology. Kids may be walking around with this disease and spreading it, not knowing that they have it. Uh, kids in the neighborhood that we live in are playing together still, even though they're not supposed to be. And there's gatherings of teenagers, unfortunately, at the end of the street. And then we see this all the time and we can have significant spread. So until we can really check more people, it's going to be a problem. So the second type yeah, of inter interesting, interestingly, um, in China, they found that the CT scan uh, was more much more sensitive especially in the first four or five days uh, than um, the um, antibody test and um, maybe you could come on why don't you come out on the blood test because i think um, that's going to help us uh, when we have those antibody tests available that'll make a big difference i think yeah what we want to look at is there's two different type of antibodies so the first test we talked about where we're doing these swabs is we're looking for active infection. Then we have people that have had the infection, gotten over it, and have some degree of immunity. And again, that immunity question is how long will it last? How, what degree of antibodies did you get? Uh, I've mentioned before, and you know I had hepatitis B vaccine, which is against a different type of virus. Um, I went through a series of three vaccinations, did not get antibodies after three vaccinations had an additional three before I developed an antibody response. So it doesn't mean even once we have a vaccine that it's gonna be universally effective uh, in this. So, you know, we may be dealing with problems all the way up to 2022 uh, with this. So, you know, the question of a person being completely immune for life is correct for some infections, but not for other ones. But first we need to know who has those antibodies. Uh, who has these IgG antibodies, which are the antibodies that last long periods of time, you know, months, years. Uh, we're not sure for this virus how long it's going to be. 
So, Alan, why don't you explain that? There's two types of antibodies, uh, and do you want to go over that? Yeah, I mean, we have, you know, the first one I'm talking about is IgG antibodies, which are the ones that give us some degree of immunity. Um, you know, much of our understanding of coronavirus immunity comes not from um, COVID-19, but from SARS and MERS. Uh, but it, those infected a comparatively much smaller group of people, uh, but they cause respiratory infections. And those antibodies could last, you know, a long time, at least a year or longer, uh, we know. So in this, we're looking at IgG antibodies to confer some sort of immunity to us. So if we know who's immune, can they go back to work? Yeah, theoretically, they could go back to work. Um, how long will those IgG antibodies we last? We need to continue to follow them. Uh, so we need to know the denominator, how many people in our population have had this disease and gotten over it with minimal symptoms. The other type of antibody you're talking about is IgM antibodies. So when you first get infected, when they do that swab on you and we say, Bill, you have an active COVID-19 infection. I want you home. You know, you're going to be home for the, until symptoms are resolved and the minimum 72 hours after complete resolution. We're going to test you at that point in time because you're a physician to make sure you still couldn't spread it. Um, but the IgM antibodies are the ones, the first antibodies that are going to be going up uh, after this infection. So if we could get a blood test, and it could be a drop of blood, the test for IgM and IgG will pick up people that have active infection potentially. The IgM ones goes up within several days after getting the infection, but it may be gone in two weeks. So if you just have IgG positive, you've had the disease, and this is a broad generalization, but you've had the disease and you've gotten over it and you have some degree of immunity. If you have IgM and IgG or IgM alone, IgM alone, we would assume you have the disease. IgM, IgG is indeterminate. You may continue to be able to spread virus at that point in time. You may still have an active infection, but developing immunity. So once the IgM is gone in a couple week period of time, you know, hopefully you're getting better and you have those IgG antibodies that are going to give you uh, the immunity that we want. So, and, and I understand those tests are somewhat available, but not widely available. Um, how soon do you think they'll be, they'll be available? Do you have a guesstimate? Well, you know, availability and accuracy are two different things. Um, so we want availability and we want accuracy. And we realize the problems we've had um, with previous coronaviruses, you know, measurements of antibodies in these people that survived the infections. We want to be able to see how quickly we can get active ones. I would assume the technology is there. Uh, there's a company in Telluride, Colorado that's tested thousands of people. Theoretically, everybody in the county is going to get tested. Uh, right now, the infection rate is around I've seen the preliminary data about 1% of the population um, with have positive antibodies that really didn't know they had it. Uh, so unfortunately, not enough for herd immunity. I was hoping it'd be 50% of the population that didn't know they had it uh, and are walking around. But the test seems to be pretty reliable there. There are some indeterminate ones. So there's some people may get the infection, and as I didn't with hepatitis B, don't get the IgG response uh, and don't have the immunity. So there are people that can get infections and not develop immunity. 
so the technology is there. It's just a matter of really pushing this out. Um, you know, we got behind the eight ball by our really abysmal response to this uh, in regards to the need for testing. Rather than saying, which some politicians do, that we have plenty of tests, it's widely available. As you said, they're not widely available, not for active yeah. infection or convalescence. Yeah, let me mention that the the IgG tests, IgM and IgG tests are blood tests. So they, it's a little prick on your finger. So very simple test. I, I personally would prefer that to having a swab uh, in the in the back of, as you said, in the back of uh, back of your nose near your brain, um, and it gives you more information. So uh, I'm looking forward to that date. Hopefully, in the near future, when those tests are available, and uh, we can get uh, can get our society society back. Um, briefly, we'll talk about uh, vaccines later. How long do you think it'll be before we have a vaccine available, widely available in the United States? You know, if we look at, you know, there's other coronaviruses out there. Um, a couple of them cause cold symptomatology. And do we have a vaccine for a common cold? No, we don't. Um, the one good thing that we have at this point in time is that you know, the SARS-CoV-2 genome uh, appears to be relatively stable during its global spread, suggesting that a vaccine could confer long-term uh, protection. Uh, some viruses mutate, as we know with influenza, we're always dealing with mutations, although there's uh, difference, you know, 10 genetic differences between the origin virus from Wuhan and other strains circulating around the world. But these are relatively small number of mutations. Um, and still that means one vaccine could work for all of these mutations, uh, at least at this point in time. The virus has not mutated to any significant extent. So that's good news in regards to a vaccine, but to go through the trials, you know, we got to go through three trials before we, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three, and phase three being the large clinical trials. And those trials last months. Uh, so in my opinion, if we got a vaccine within 18 months, it's efficacious, I would be at static. Um, and that's why I'm saying we're close to 2022. Um, and once we get it, there's some people that won't actually get the vaccine, but if we can get a significant portion of the population to be vaccinated, we can get that herd immunity. So if say one person on the street gets the virus, the other people are vaccinated, the virus runs into a dead end. It doesn't have another host that it can get to. Um, and that's what we mean by this herd type of immunity that we need. But the good thing with this, which we were scared initially was, you know, how significant are these viral mutations going to be? And at this point, although there's 10 different, you know, genetic different, there's 10 different kind of genetic differences between the origin of the virus, um, they've not mutated to any significant extent. So, yeah, and that's really the only real good news I've heard in some time is that it hasn't mutated so that so that the vaccine may be effective uh, for everyone. Yep. So I think, you know, this should give people some good idea of what we got and what we need to do, but we need to really get on top of testing, active infection, immunity, um, and you know the vaccination is really getting pushed by some really large corporations, uh, pharmaceutical corporations at this point in time. So I am yeah, well, hopeful. Uh, 
but I think it's important, as, as you've said before, we really have to do social distancing because that vaccine is a ways out. Even if it, if it got through, uh, say, another country did it very quickly with lots and lots of testings, where at least it's six months or eight months or a year, it's not going to be around the corner. So that vaccine, while very helpful, is, is not close to us. So that social distancing is very, very important, uh, as you said. And uh, I've heard you say before, and, and I feel the same way, we have to be very careful about getting back to normal. Because as soon as we get back to normal, that means we're going to be spreading that virus back again. And people will be really frightened uh, if that virus comes back um, uh, rapidly, which, which I'm afraid it will if, uh, if we give up social distancing and we, and we go back to uh, just our, our normal work schedule. Yeah, we have to listen to our science leaders, uh, not our political leaders often. And we have to realize, at least in previous study, the coronaviruses appeared to be sharply seasonal. So just because it may die off over the summer, and I hope it does, um, you know, these viruses, which are, rel you know, are related virologically to COVID-19, um, they came back. And... So looking at these other four, and that's all we can do because this is a novel virus, is realizing even if it goes away, we can't let down our guard. Social distancing may be with us for some time. Um, you know, the distancing we talked about in a previous podcast, and people hopefully will listen to this, you know, how far should you be away from a runner? Probably a lot more than six feet. Um, you know, or a bicyclist and other things, you know, just make sure that you get as much distance as you can and be as smart as you can in regards to our behaviors. Um, and unfortunately, that's going to last, in my opinion, for some time. But I think this is a great topic and hopefully we'll have more updates for everybody soon. All right. Thank you very much, Alan, uh, for your input. And uh, everyone out there, please stay safe and keep that social distancing up. Uh, respect it for everyone. Uh, remember the disease, while the disease does tend to affect older people, uh, it also affects young people as well. So uh, um, there's no age group that's totally immune to this uh, disease. Uh, do you have any other last comments, Alan? No, everybody. I think th those were very wise comments, Bill. You know, uh, listen to our previous podcast on distancing. Um, six feet may not be appropriate for all activities and be very careful. Um, and highly vigilant about your surroundings. All right. Thank you, Alan. Thank you.